Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Buffy and the Art of Story. Today, we're talking about Season 5, Episode 21, The Weight of the World, where Willow uses magic to reach a catatonic Buffy, and the gang searches for answers after Glory takes Dawn. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and you love creating stories, or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, mystery and thriller author, story expert, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. Along with the breakdown of The Way to the World, today I'll talk about how conflict between Buffy's friends and between Glory and her minions reminds the audience what happened in the last few episodes and explains and sometimes re-explains the complex relationship between Ben and Glory without losing tension or boring the audience, which is quite the challenge. Also, there is a main plot here that takes place in Buffy's mind and has relatively little screen time for the protagonist and antagonist to interact and yet is so very powerful. Clear examples of showing versus telling when it comes to character traits and the way the theme of guilt weaves through the plot and the subplots. There will be no spoilers except at the end when I talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. The Weight of the World aired the first time on May 15, 2001. It was directed by David Solomon and written by Douglas Petrie. The opening conflict here relates to the ongoing season arc and the fallout from the last episode, and it is an excellent example of what Buffy does so well, which is to bring in exposition, catch the audience up on backstory through conflict that stays engaging throughout. Minions are racing around Glory's opulent apartment, packing up her belongings. One urges the other to move faster. He responds that their god has acquired much in this world and doesn't exactly travel light. Glory is in the living room primping. She's wearing a ceremonial-looking dress, and she reminds the minions that godlike ears don't miss much. They rush to blame one another and apologize, and she assures them she's not going to kill them. She's not in the mood, and she can't figure out why. So we find out so much in that short exchange, which is full of tension. And one of the minions says, in mercy does your power lie? And Glory responds, no brainless, in torture, death, and chaos does my power lie. Glory goes on to talk about how puzzled she is that she doesn't feel like killing. Maybe she's hungry. No, it's not that. And she says she's waited an eternity, well, 25 human years. And it all comes down to tonight. She'll return to the hell she came from, rain down supersized portions of slaughter and bloodshed. She flops onto her couch and says, so how come I ain't happy? At 1 minute 43 seconds, she looks to one side and says, what do you think? 
For the first time, the camera shows Dawn. She's sitting with her hands bound together, a red gag in her mouth, shivering and whimpering. This whole scene not only is excellent at getting exposition out through conflict, it illustrates the difference between showing and telling. This is a rule that new writers hear all the time, show, don't tell. But the trouble is there are things we need to tell the audience. All that exposition through conflict is telling the audience what happened before, telling us glory's a god. And that is really the only way to do that. You have to tell the audience some things. Where that rule is most helpful is when we are looking at emotions characters are feeling. We might tell them, but it's often stronger to show them and showing us character traits. In this scene, we do show how powerful and dangerous Glory is to some extent by the way the minions cower. But mostly Glory is telling us about reigning down terror, and a lot of season five has Glory and other characters telling us how powerful and dangerous she is. We show what Glory is like when she tortures the monk in the beginning, when she tortures Spike in a recent episode, when she slaughters the knights of Byzantium. Uh, twice she slaughters a bunch of them. That is showing, but her telling us and other characters telling us doesn't have as much power. In the scene, Glory tells us her emotions, but we also see them when she flops down onto the couch in this very uncharacteristic way where she clearly feels defeated. And of course, we see Dawn's terror as she sits there, uh, shivering, rocking a bit back and forth, and whimpering. The scene cuts to a gas station where everyone on Buffy's side was stranded in the last episode. Xander asks Giles, who's looking a little bit better if he's ready to go, but Giles asks how Buffy is. Xander says, still the same, and Willow says it's been almost half an hour. Xander tells her to try again, but Willow's not sure Buffy's really in there. So more conflict that catches us up on the last episode. The camera closes up on Willow's face, and she says, can you hear me, Buffy? Buffy, at 2 minutes 37 seconds in, for the first time we see Buffy. And Buffy sits completely still, her face impassive, showing no reaction. She's still wearing that same black leather jacket and white shirts she wore in the last two episodes, but is motionless. And we go to credits. At 3 minutes 37 seconds in, we come back and Spike calls Buffy's name, gets no response, and says she can't just be brain dead. She's still Buffy. Xander says they won't get Dawn back by sitting around there, but Spike argues it's for Buffy to decide what to do next. Willow and Anya worry about moving Buffy. Could it make her condition worse? And Giles says losing Dawn after all Buffy went through pushed her too far into some sort of catatonia. If we didn't see the last episode, we know that this happened when Glory grabbed Dawn. At 4 minutes 24 seconds, Spike says they need to snap her out of it. He shakes Buffy 
hard, and Anya says they tried that. Spike then smacks Buffy across the face. He yelps in pain. Buffy doesn't respond at all, and Anya says, we didn't try that. Xander calls Spike insane. They could be dealing with neurological damage, but Spike argues you can't use kid gloves. She's a slayer. Anyway, he wagers that, quote, when all is said and done, Buffy likes it rough, end quote. We're now reaching about 10% through the episode. And as is often the case, here we see a story spark or inciting incident that gets the main plot rolling. And here it is Willow deciding that she'll be the one to help Buffy. It took me a bit to sort out main plot versus subplots in this episode. I knew the main plot was Willow helping Buffy, but at first I thought everything the other Scooby friends did was separate. And then there's Glory's subplot of getting to the point of doing the ritual that will take her home. But I think that the gang trying to find out about Glory is part of the main plot because Willow's goal is not just to help Buffy, but it's to bring a very reluctant Buffy back to reality so they can all keep fighting for Dawn and go after Glory. And the others are doing their part in finding out what they can to help Buffy go after Glory when she's back. And the things they do as the audience watches put more and more pressure on Willow's and Buffy's interactions. Xander slugs Spike and the two struggle until Willow, who's been staring at Buffy intensely, turns to them and says, separate. They fly apart and Willow in a low voice says, Buffy's out. Glory has Dawn. Sometime real soon, she's going to use Dawn to tear down the barrier between every dimension there is. So if you two want to fight, you do it after the world ends, okay? All right, first we head back to Sunnydale. Then she assigns roles. Xander will take Giles to the hospital. Anya will look after Tara. Spike will find Glory. Check her apartment, see if she's there, but don't do anything stupid like trying for payback. This reminds me of Willow early in the series yelling at Angel in the library about not going on a date with Buffy, not taking her for coffee and Giles for pushing her too hard. She yells and then she kind of backpedals and she's very nervous, which doesn't happen here. Likewise, there is a scene when Xander and Angel are fighting in Prophecy Girl and I believe that's the one where Willow says, get it together or get the hell out of my library. Each time we gradually see Willow step up a little more, take charge, and then be very uncomfortable with it. And here, she sticks with it. The only vestige we have of that is that little okay, okay? But she goes right back to, all right, here's what we're going to do and assigning the role. So Willow is growing gradually throughout the series, becoming more powerful and becoming more comfortable with that. Anya asks what Willow will do, and she says she is going to help Buffy. Tara keeps saying, big day, big day. And Spike says, uh, Will, now uh, don't turn me into a horned toad for asking, but what if we come across Ben? And Willow says, I don't think a doctor is what Buffy needs right now. 
And Spike says, well, yeah, especially one who happens to be Glory. Now, normally, this would be that type of exposition that's not very good. That's just, hey, I'm going to tell you things you already know. But we find out the others don't know this. They're puzzled. Is he saying Ben is with Glory? That they're working together? And Spike tells them, no, they're one and the same. It happened one hour ago, right before their eyes, Ben turned into glory, snatched on, vanished, remember? And he says, is everyone here very stoned as they look at him blankly? So he continues and says, there's the doctor, the beast, they share one body, quote, it's like a bloody sitcom, surely you remember, end quote. So such a perfect way to get in what happened last time. And it reminds us of that complicated relationship with Ben and Glory. Finally, Spike grasps that there must be some mojo Glory worked that keeps anyone who sees the change from remembering it. And he's immune because he's a vampire. That was nicely set up by the previous episode where Glory said, vampires are useless, you can't even brain suck them. It's not quite the same as why her spell or magic doesn't work on Spike, but it makes us believe it. Vampires are somehow different. They're somewhat immune to Glory. And so it makes sense that Spike's the one who recalls Ben turning into glory. The others finally seem to catch on. They repeat that Ben and Glory are the same person. Anyone who sees it forgets. But then Giles says, excellent. Now, do we suspect that there may be some kind of connection between Ben and Glory? Spike sighs a very big sigh and we cut to glory. At eight minutes in, she walks Dawn across an empty lot. Sounds of construction are all around them. There are some sparks flying, and people bow down as they pass and repeat the key, the key. Inside what looks like a giant warehouse, a cleric joins them and says he must anoint the key. Glory is annoyed and says, you really don't. And eventually she says, get out, get out, get out, when he insists, which seems to be a callback to Dawn saying that to Joyce. And their tone is very similar. It makes me think this was purposeful to draw this connection between Glory and Dawn, and she will do that more explicitly in a moment. And Glory says to Dawn, you know, recapture your godhood and unleash Armageddon, and suddenly everyone wants to be part of the inner circle. She wipes the ashes the cleric put on Dawn's forehead off as she talks and asks if Dawn's okay. Dawn wants to go home, and Glory calls her sweetie and assures her she's about to, to her real home, not that suburban nightmare the monks cooked up for her. And this is where she starts drawing that parallel that she and Dawn are similar, that their real home is not this world. Glory actually seems concerned about Dawn being upset. She sits on a chair across from her, offers her pizza, a stuffed animal, muses aloud about whether there's cable in the building, and Glory tells Dawn that she knows how she feels. She feels nervous. It's her last night as a human. But for girls like you and me, she says, the human body is just a rental. It's like a costume. And she calls Dawn Donnie, and Dawn says, don't call her that. 
At 10 minutes 36 seconds, Glory says this hurt her feelings. Dawn rushes to apologize, but Glory waves a hand and says that's not the point. She shouldn't have feelings at all. She shouldn't be trying to comfort Dawn. It's not part of her life. She's doing it so she can stop feeling so, so, and she snaps her fingers and says, help me out. And Dawn says, guilty. And Glory says that's it. But she's not supposed to feel that way. She's a god. She's above it all. She advances on Dawn, says it's her, that she's doing it some sort of spell. But then it hits her that Dawn's not doing magic, but it still is Dawn, Dawn's presence. And she calls the cleric back and tells him to anoint this thing now. And she turns to Dawn and tells her she can do whatever she wants. It doesn't matter. Glory says, we found out your blood is the key to the key. And she explains that Dawn's blood will open a portal so Glory can go home, so Dawn can knock herself out and make Glory feel as bad as she wants. It doesn't matter. And Glory says, because tomorrow you bleed, little girl. And that's at 11 minutes, 56 seconds in. This was our first reference to guilt, which is a strong theme in this episode. And here it is as something that gods don't feel because they are above all feelings. And also how it changes Glory's, maybe not personality, but her character in in terms of what she wants to do. She finds herself wanting to comfort Dawn. This moment could be what I think of as the one quarter twist, that first major plot turn that often comes about a quarter way through, sometimes a third of the way through. It should come from outside the protagonist, and here it is. It's outside Willow for the main plot and outside Buffy and her friends. And it spins the story in a new direction. Here it does that by adding a time limit and letting us know that Dawn will bleed out during the ritual, which raises the stakes. Now, these things were already true. So that's why I hesitate to see this as that major plot turn. But because the audience didn't know that yet, Dawn didn't know it yet, and it definitely raises the stakes for Willow, for Buffy, for everyone, it probably is the first major plot turn. We will see another shift in the storyline around here as well because we turn to what exactly Willow is going to do to help Buffy. At 12 minutes, 18 seconds, Willow and Anya at Anya and Xander's apartment talk about the spell. Willow's pretty sure it will work, though it's not exactly well-explored territory, and Anya says it can be very dangerous for Buffy. So this is part of what keeps tension high, despite that all of this action is going to take place in Buffy's mind, which normally could feel kind of low stakes and not that exciting because it's not happening in the quote-unquote real world of the story. But we're going to keep adding to this idea that doing this presents a danger in itself. Willow tells Anya how to care for Tara, including that there are pills to give her every two hours hours and Anya says you think you'll be gone more than two hours and Willow says I don't know wish me luck and Anya says okay and she punches Willow lightly on the shoulder and in a bright voice says good luck 
Willow tells Tara she'll be back as soon as she can, clearly worried, kisses Tara, gathers her supplies, and goes into the bedroom. And Anya very quietly says, good luck. And I love Anya this season. She does that cheerful good luck, almost making light of it, trying to reassure Willow and waits until Willow's gone to truly show the depths of her concern with that quiet good luck. At 13 minutes, 46 seconds, Willow lights candles in the bedroom and sits across from Buffy facing her. The room is dim. Buffy looks blank and Willow looks very serious. Then Willow blinks, and she's in a bright, sunny house. Such a contrast. She walks through and goes into a room where a little blonde girl with pigtails sits holding a little blonde doll. And the girl says, hi, Willow. And Willow, with a slight smile, says, hello, Buffy. And we cut to commercial. When we come back, Spike kicks in the door to Glory's apartment. It's easy to see that Glory has moved out. He finds Ben's bedroom. At 16 minutes, 18 seconds in, we cut back to little girl Buffy who says, what are you doing here? And Willow responds, actually, I'm uh, looking for you. Buffy asks if Willow likes dolls and Willow asks what Buffy's doing here. And the little girl says, I like it here. Willow tells her she needs to come and be with her friends. Little girl Buffy responds, it's a big day for me. We hear a door opening And she hands Willow her doll and says, Mommy, Daddy, and rushes off. So there's a recurring reference here to the big day. Tara said it, and now little girl Buffy has said it, and we'll say it again. At 16 minutes, 50 seconds, little Buffy runs for her parents. Joyce and Hank brought a baby home, and Buffy folds her arms. She doesn't want to be a big sister. Little Buffy wants to be the baby, and she's worried her parents will pay more attention to the baby and forget all about Buffy. It's shades of Buffy's reaction when Dawn was inserted into the world, though she didn't know that that had just happened. So it seems like this is the reaction the monks put into Buffy's mind and into the world when they created Dawn. And Buffy says to Joyce, that she, Buffy, could be the one to look after Dawn and help. And she says, Mom, can I take care of her? And Joyce says, yes, Buffy, you can take care of her. If you find the story elements I talk about in the podcast helpful, and would like to further explore them, you can check out the other books in the Writing as a Second Career series. You can find them at writingasasecondcareer.com or on my author website, lisalilly.com. And remember, you can also get them at your local library. If you don't see them on the shelves or in the catalog, ask and your librarian can order them for you. Also, two of them are available in audiobook format, Super Simple Story Structure, A Quick Guide to Plotting and Writing Your Novel, and The One-Year Novelist, which helps take you through a plan to plot and write a novel in one year. And you can get the audiobook editions through your library as well. You can also get the Buffy and the Art of Story books in print or ebook format at your local library. (laughs) 
at 17 minutes 47 seconds in, a grown-up Buffy wearing a tan skirt puts a book on the shelf in the magic box as Willow watches, puzzled. There's a quick cut to a fire in the desert, and Willow says, Okay. Much of this main plot of Willow and Buffy's head is shown interwoven with actions by the rest of the team as we got that quick cut of Spike going through Glory's place and now we're going to go to the hospital. As I mentioned in the beginning, while at first I thought that was a separate subplot or carrying forward the season arc, which it does do, I do see it as all part of a main plot to help Buffy go after Glory and get Dawn back. At 18 minutes, four seconds, Giles at the hospital puts on his jacket with a little help from Xander. Xander tells him about Willow contacting Buffy psychically through magic, which Giles says is extraordinarily advanced. So another way to emphasize to the audience that this could be dangerous for both Willow and Buffy. Xander says he went to the psych ward looking for Glory's victims, but no one is there. In the background, Spike swipes a blood bag, and he joins the two of them to tell them that Glory is gone. But Spike knows a bloke, more like a demon, but bookish, who knows all the nasty corners of the magic world, and maybe he can help them figure out Glory's game plan. As he and Xander head out, Spike tells Xander he saw Ben's things at Glory's, and Xander is shocked. All this time, Ben's been subletting from Glory? And at 19 minutes, 22 seconds, Spike says, this is going to be worth it. He smacks Xander on the back of the head. Both of them yell in pain. And Spike says, for the last time, from the top. This also shows how strong Glory's mojo is because... Presumably, Spike explained this several more times between the gas station and here, and it just keeps wearing off. That head pain for Spike and Xander is a nice link to the next scene, where Glory holds her head as if she's in pain, tells a minion she hates this. She is remembering Ben's life, and she asks Dawn if Ben went to see her in the desert and the gas station when they were all hiding from Glory. And Dawn agrees that she remembers that and him turning into Glory. Glory says no one should remember that. The cloak between her and Ben is fading and that Glory almost helped Dawn she remembers wanting to. She's thinking Ben's thoughts, feeling his feelings. Ben emerges for a second and says, I can't kill the girl. He turns back into Glory who begs the cleric to rip Ben out of her, and he says he can't. She's risking terrible magics in opening the portal, and quote, nothing comes without a price. This is yours, end quote. And this is a uh, character stating the general rule that in fiction, magic needs to have a price. When I was early in my writing career, I wrote uh, some supernatural stories where the protagonist was just able to do these things. And in a retreat, an instructor told me what I'm surprised I had not learned somewhere before, which was that there has to be a price for using magic because otherwise it's just the easy answer to everything. And there's no suspense. There's no excitement. Nothing is hard for the protagonist or for the antagonist for that matter. And 
I also think of it as just logical. It fits with the way of the real world. In great stress, we can push ourselves, whether it's an all-nighter to get ready for a hearing, or if you're someone who does all-nighters before tests, or those stories about people lifting a car to get their child out from underneath it. You can do these things in great moments of stress with that surge of adrenaline, but it takes its toll later on the body and mind. And I think of magic the same way. Now here, this is a more specific message to Glory because she says, gods don't pay. And she grabs Dawn and says, we do this now. So we're almost at the midpoint of the episode. And that's where I look for some sort of major commitment by the protagonist or a major reversal the protagonist suffers or both. And we have a lot happening here. I don't think we have just one of these. In Glory's subplot of setting the stage to go home to get to the ritual, she almost suffers a reversal because we'll find out when she grabs Dawn, she's about to kill her right now. So either she's committing by saying, look, we're just going to do the ritual now and see what happens, or it's a reversal. She can't stand the pain, so she's going to kill Dawn and end it. The main plot with Willow, I don't see a major commitment here because Willow already made that by going into Buffy's head. And then we're going to see a subtle reversal for Willow in Buffy's head, one that nonetheless has a lot of emotional power. At 21 minutes, 25 seconds, Willow in front of that fire sees the guide in the form of the first slayer. And here we get a little humor, which I love. She says, hey, I know you. you. You're the original slayer who tried killing us all in our dreams. How have you been? And the guide says, death is your gift. And Buffy, who is sitting there, says, death is my gift. And Willow says, wait, death is her what? And the guide says, death is your gift. Willow is puzzled, and this also clearly shocks her. I see this as a major reversal because Willow now grasps how much deeper this catatonia for Buffy goes beyond being overwhelmed that Glory grabbed Dawn in the moment. Now Willow knows that Buffy has been struggling with this since her quest, the quest that she hoped would make her feel better about being a slayer, feel more in touch with her humanity, instead gave her this message that death is her gift. Willow now knows there are so many more layers here, and Giles told us that this Spell is advanced, Anya told us it's dangerous, and now we are more concerned that neither Buffy nor Willow will get out unscathed or perhaps get out at all. At 22 minutes, Willow watches Book Buffy replace that book on the shelf in the magic box once more. Then a different Buffy, one who looks a little more like real Buffy because she has her hair in a ponytail. And she wears black clothes, so more similar to how real-life Buffy is dressed and how she has her hair. This Buffy in black heads down a hallway in the Summer's house. And this is a shift, too, because with little girl Buffy, the Summer's house was full of sunlight, and now it is the present-day Summer's house, and they're in a hallway, no windows. It's not dark, but it's certainly not sunny, and Willow follows Buffy, asking where she's going. The scene cuts to Glory, who has Dawn by the throat, 
and the minions yell at her not to kill the key, now they'll be stuck on this mortal plane forever. Glory finally calms down a bit, orders them all to leave, says she's overwhelmed by emotions, which is ironic, and they need some girl time. Glory demands that Dawn tell her how do human beings stand it, the hormones, the pheromones, and Glory says every day, woo, no control, and goes on, quote, and their feelings, hate them. Is this what the poets go on about? This? Call me crazy. But as hardcore drugs go, human emotions are useless. End quote. She continues that humans are puppets constantly jerked around by emotions. An interesting take, given that a strong theme in Buffy the Vampire Slayer as a series is that emotions give humans strength. Buffy argued this to Kendra, that anger made Buffy a stronger fighter despite that Kendra's technique was better, and Faith to some extent argued this, that if Buffy wasn't enjoying slaying, she was doing it wrong, though with Faith, we saw some of the dangers of that approach. All the same, emotion is what protects Buffy. Her love for her friends and family, we're told over and over, is part of why she survives so much longer than the other slayers. But now emotion is undermining Buffy and Glory. Glory tells Dawn she really wants to know, and Dawn might as well tell her she's going to bleed Dawn either way. And Dawn finally says, depends on the person. Glory responds, so you're saying some people like this? And Dawn says, some. Glory's not buying it, though. All she sees is, quote, six billion lunatics looking for the fastest ride out, end quote. And she goes on that everyone is, quote, drinking, smoking, shooting up, shooting each other, or just plain screwing their brains out because they don't want them anymore. End quote. Glory says at least she admits the world makes her nuts and challenges Dawn to name one person who could take it here, and Dawn says Buffy. And this is one of those irony cuts because Dawn says Buffy, and we cut to Buffy and Willow sitting and staring at each other, Buffy still catatonic. And in what at first seems like a voiceover, Willow says, to Buffy that she can't keep following her around, they have to go. And as she says it, we shift back into Buffy's head as Willow follows Buffy into a bedroom, and there's a headstone and dirt in the shape of a grave, clearly Joyce's grave, and Willow says, I'm sorry. And Buffy says, don't be. Death is my gift. Willow says she keeps hearing that. She's not sure what it means. And Buffy tells her it's not that complicated. At 24 minutes, 51 seconds, Buffy goes into Dawn's bedroom. Dawn lies on the bed, eyes closed, breathing hard. And Buffy says, it's what she does. It's what she's here for. Quote, it's all I am. End quote. Buffy puts the pillow over Dawn's face, holding it lightly but smothering her. And Willow yells, no, and tells her to stop. Buffy still holds the pillow but turns to look over her shoulder at Willow. What? I keep telling you, Willow. I figured it out. Death is my gift. And we cut to commercial. At 26 minutes, 34 seconds, Glory, who is pacing, tells Ben it's really not a good time. Ben turns into him. Ben asks if Glory hurt Dawn. Dawn says not yet, but tells him she has to get out of there. Ben, though, stares at his hands, asks where all the blood is. He can feel it warm and wet, and he remembers all the people Glory slaughtered. Dawn explains about the barrier coming down. 
tells him Glory could come back any minute, but Ben is focused now on his job, his life, and how Glory never thinks about him. There's a knock on the door. Don begs Ben to help. He answers and punches out the cleric. He tells Don he'll take her as far as he can, then ditch her before Glory comes back. The scene cuts back to Willow, who says, Okay, now this is weird. She's back with little girl Buffy, who's holding the doll and sitting at that same table. Willow again says she's looking for Buffy and also says, And I think we already deja this vu. Little Buffy says, You talk funny. And Willow responds, yes, as you'll tell me again when we're older and in chem class. When little girl Buffy asks, doesn't Willow like it here? Willow says they don't have time, but little Buffy runs for Hank and Joyce again. At 28 minutes, 10 seconds, Willow watches as Joyce tells Buffy we're calling her Dawn. Then Willow hears footsteps and looks to the side. She sees book Buffy in the magic box replacing that book. Willow glances between the two scenes as little girl Buffy says, I could be the one to look after her sometimes. At 28 minutes, 22 seconds, the scene cuts to a fire, this time in a fireplace. But this is a nice way to link the scene with Willow and the fire and the first slayer and Spike and Sander who have gone to see that old man who helped Dawn before. He asks if the boys want hot chocolate. Spike says no, they're there for information, but Sander interrupts to say Ben's glory. He says it's like a fog lifting. Spike explains to the old man that they need information about a demony creature. He goes on hell god type, and Sander says, aka glory, and Spike says has gone missing. He tells the man that Glory is brewing up major bad and grabbed the Slayer's kid sister in the process, and the old man says, that girl you brought here. So now Xander, if he's paying attention, knows Spike is the one who helped John try to resurrect Joyce, and the old man says, how things work out with her mom? Changed her mind, didn't she? Spike says yes and asks if he has any idea where Glory would take Dawn. The old man refers to her as Glorificus, which probably should have been a clue, and says, gosh, what do you want to get mixed up with her for? He goes on that his best advice with hell gods is to get out of the way and stay there. Spike says, love to, can't. The man claims he'd love to help, but he can't, and he meanders around the apartment as he talks, saying he's a small-town guy, Glorificus is big city, but he may know a fella who knows a fella in China. Spike's not impressed, and he also realizes the guy is lying, and he thinks that the old man is standing in front of exactly what they need. The man smiles and swoops to the other side of the room to grab a sword. He calls Spike an idiot. They fight. And during that fight, the man's tongue extends across the room and knocks over Xander. And he says, you think only underworld bottom feeders worship the beast? He overpowers the two of them long enough to throw a box into the fire and tells them Glory's day is coming. So another reference to a big day. Xander struggles with the man while Spike retrieves the burning box and Xander, on top of the old man, kills him with his own sword and says to Spike, what do we got? At 31 minutes, 22 seconds, Spike says something worth dying for. They leave and the old man's eyes pop open. 
Around here, typically, we'll see the last major plot turn, which I think of as the three-quarter turn. It should grow out of the midpoint and take the story in another new direction. We have several turns here. Spike and Xander got the box, which presumably has information about Glory. They also don't know that the man is still alive. However, that part won't turn this episode as the man won't appear again. Also, finding the information sets up the end of the way to the world, but doesn't turn the story. But there is a turn in Willow's efforts to help Buffy. A personal update this time, I will keep it short. I mentioned in an earlier episode that I'm working on a book called Fiction Writing as Your Second Career. Thank you to those of you who sent questions you might like to see answered. I finished my first major revision, I hope the only major revision, and hope to have that out sometime in November. I did end up splitting the book in two parts because when I reached the middle, I realized the rest of it was all about self-publishing. Not everyone who wants to pursue fiction writing wants to self-publish. So I am going to do a separate book, probably called Super Simple Self-Publishing. That will cover that topic. I'm aiming for a January release on that. But look for fiction writing as your second career. It covers what you might want to know if you are contemplating seriously pursuing fiction writing, either as a retirement job, as a side job, while you keep your current work or continue your current obligations, and some tips and advice if you are hoping to shift to writing fiction entirely as your career. When it's available, I will announce it on Twitter and Facebook, and you'll, of course, be able to find it on writingasasecondcareer.com or on my author website, lisalilly.com. Willow follows the Buffy who's dressed in black, so who looks the most like the real Buffy, down that hall in the Summer's home, again begging her to stop and listen, stop killing Dawn, and Buffy says, why? Willow tells her she didn't do it. It's all in her imagination, and she's stuck in some kind of loop. Buffy doesn't know what Willow's talking about, and she veers around Willow toward the door at the end of the hall, and Willow says, Buffy, why are you doing this? I see the turn here, the last major plot turn, being that realization for Willow that Buffy is stuck in a loop. And she says it here, and it grows from that midpoint where Willow heard the death is your gift theme. That 
triggers Willow's thought process, informs her more what is happening for Buffy, and is part of what likely feeds into her recognizing what this loop is about. And it will turn the story because she's starting to grasp that there must be something in these chain of events that shows where Buffy is stuck. Next, though, we get a turn in the Ben and Dawn part of the story, which is both part of the main plot of Willow trying to help Buffy fight Glory and get Dawn back and is part of Glory's subplot to prepare for the ritual. At 32 minutes, 2 seconds, Dawn and Ben hide in an alley. Ben looks out to see if the minions are around. Dawn takes advantage of his momentary inattention and brains him over the head with a handy bundle of heavy chain. She says she's sorry to his seemingly unconscious body and starts to run, but he turns into glory and we cut to commercial. When we return, Glory is angry at Dawn. She remembers that pain Ben felt and she threatens Dawn. She says she can't kill Dawn yet because she needs to bleed her, but she knows all kinds of ways to hurt Dawn without killing her. She says she figured out what to do with guilt and all those emotions. She'll just mash them down where they belong. But Ben emerges, tells her to leave Dawn alone. Now Glory raves at Ben, turning into him and back as the two talk to each other. Glory says she's strong, he's weak. He calls herself involved, tells her now she's feeling humanity. Ben tries to take Dawn away, but Glory grabs her back. She is going home no matter what Ben does. In response, Ben grabs a glass bottle from the ground, breaks it, and holds the glass to Dawn's neck. He'll kill Dawn himself. Glory flings Dawn aside and smashes the bottle, and she taunts Ben that he can't hurt Dawn. She knows what he's feeling. But then Glory tries persuasion. She tells him no one has to die, but he knows exactly what will happen when Glory goes home. He'll disappear from existence. Now, this is dialogue where both sides know that these things are so, but it works in terms of informing the audience because it doesn't feel fake. It's coming out through genuine conflict. It's not just one saying to the other, as you know, I'm going to blink out of existence. It's Ben saying, why would I give in to you when it means I'll be gone? Glory now introduces a new idea. He won't have to disappear if somebody up there likes him, and she could like him a lot if he helps her and she is offering him immortality. Ben, who can see into Glory's emotions and thoughts, believes her. The offer is genuine. But how can he live forever knowing he killed Don to do it? He would feel that guilt every day of his life. So now this is a second conversation about guilt, this time Ben's guilt and how it keeps him from harming Dawn. At 35 minutes, 59 seconds, Glory tells him not to worry about that. All the feelings, anger, pain, guilt, it all, quote, melts away like ice cream, end quote. She'll set him up real nice. It's him or the girl. And Ben says, I can't accept that. And Glory says, accept it. I'm a god, stupid. Ben emerges, takes control, and offers his hand to Dawn and says, 
I'm sorry. Dawn sighs in relief. We think he's going to help her, and so does she. But he grabs her and drags her out of the alley toward the minions and says, Don't make this harder than it already is. I'm sorry. I got no choice. It's you or me. So another theme of the series here, which has quite often been about choices, including hard choices going back to Buffy's friend Ford, who chose to make a deal with Spike to become a vampire because he didn't want to die of cancer and in pain. And Buffy tells him, you have a choice. It's not a good choice, but you have a choice. And this also applies to Ben. At 36 minutes, 47 seconds, Willow tells Buffy to stop as they go through the door, but they're not in one of the bedrooms. Instead, they're back in the magic box. Willow tells Buffy to leave Dawn alone, but then asks, what is this? Buffy, the one dressed in black, says, my gift. This is what I do. And Willow responds, I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about, and she glances at Book Buffy reshelving that book and says this. We're now at the climax of the main plot. That's where the opposing forces have their final confrontation and resolve the main conflict. And here that is Willow versus Buffy. Book Buffy reshelves the book three times and Willow says right here it happened I know it's something small but it's something and at 37 minutes 23 seconds Buffy in black tells her don't go there but Willow points out Buffy is the one who keeps dragging her back there and she wouldn't do it if she weren't trying to show Willow something book Buffy says this was when I quit Will And Willow says, you did? And Buffy, dressed in black, answers, just for a second. And we get a shot of real-life Willow and real-life Buffy sitting across from each other. Then we're back in Buffy's head as book Buffy says, I remember I was in the magic shop. And Buffy, who's dressed in black, says, I put a book back for Giles. And the rest of the story, as Buffy tells it, alternates between those two Buffy's And one of them says, I can't beat Glory. And the other says, Glory's going to win. Willow insists she can't know it, but still alternating between the two, Buffy tells her she did know it in that moment. She more than knew it. She felt it and she wanted it to happen. She wanted it over. It's all too much. And she goes on, if Glory wins, then Dawn dies and I would grieve. People would feel sorry for me but it would be over. I imagined what a relief it would be. I killed Dawn. My thinking made it happen. Some part of me wanted it. And in the moment Glory took Dawn, I know I could have done something better, but I didn't. I was off by some fraction of a second, and this is why I killed my sister. Willow says, I think Spike was right back at the gas station. Snap out of it. Both Buffies turn to look at her in shock, and Willow tells them all this has a name, quote, it's called guilt, it's a feeling, and it's important, but it's not more than that, Buffy, Buffies. This made me think of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood when I was a kid. I wasn't a huge fan of it, but the biggest thing I remember was him explaining that feelings don't make things happen. I can't help but wonder if Joss Whedon or the other writers also watched that episode and it stuck with them. 
obviously, this is a really important message, so I don't mean to make light of it by the Mr. Rogers comparison, but here there's even more to it because it's, it's not that Buffy really thinks having feelings makes things happen, but in this instance, because she feels that responsibility, that weight of the world, and she feels she has to be at her best every second, she truly feels that because she had that moment of wanting it to be over, of thinking of the relief. If Glory won, it makes her think that that informed her actions. And Willow now tries to put this into perspective for Buffy and says Buffy has carried the weight of the world on her shoulders since high school. She didn't ask for it, and so she wanted out for one second. But Buffy says she killed her sister, and Willow says, hello, your sister, not dead yet, but she will be if you stay locked inside here and never come back to us. And Buffy, who's dressed in black, says, and what if I can't? And Willow responds, then I guess you're right. Then you did kill your sister. At 37 minutes, 30 seconds, Willow starts to leave. And Buffy says, wait, and asks where she's going. And Willow says, where you are needed. Are you coming? Buffy in black and book Buffy look after Willow. 40 minutes, 42 seconds in, the real Buffy startles and blinks. Willow has prevailed, and that's the end of the climax. We're now in the falling action, the part of the story that ties up loose ends and resolves subplots and continues season arcs. Real Buffy bends forward. She sobs. Willow kneels in front of her and holds her, and they hug, and Buffy cries. And this reminds me of when Buffy sobbed over Angel and Willow held her, only there is so much more on her shoulders now. And these moments calling back to earlier episodes, though subtle, I think are deliberate because... As best as I know, the writers, when they were writing these episodes, did not know if Buffy the series was going to continue. They may have known by the time they filmed, but season five was quite possibly going to be the end of Buffy. And I think that's part of why you have all these references. Also, Buffy is just such a well-written show that you would probably see a lot of this anyway, because with some exceptions, the characters keep building, the series has so much continuity, and it is almost natural. It looks like the writers do it so easily to call back to those moments. At 41 minutes, seven seconds, Buffy, real Buffy, is at the magic box in her black leather jacket and white shirt like she wore in the previous episodes. She heard they found a ritual text and asks what they know. Giles stutters, says, according to the scrolls, it's possible to stop Glory, but he's afraid. Uh, and he goes on, Buffy, I've read these things very carefully, and there's not much margin for error. You understand what I'm saying? And Buffy says, might help if you actually said it. Giles sits at the long table and tells her Glory plans to open a dimensional portal by way of a ritual bloodletting, Dawn's blood. 
Once the blood is shed, the fabric that separates all realities will be ripped apart. The dimensions will pour into each other. Reality as they know it will be destroyed. Now, we have heard some of this before, but this encapsulates it and emphasizes that there is no escape once that happens, and Buffy asks how to stop it. Giles tells her the portal will only close when the blood is stopped, and the only way for that to happen, um, and Giles finally says, Buffy, the only way is to kill Dawn. The camera zooms in on Buffy's face, which looks much like it did when she was catatonic, and we cut to credits. Such a powerful ending. And I I don't feel that Buffy is going to go catatonic again, but we have established for the whole episode how hard this is for Buffy. The only thing that gets her out is that she might be able to save Dawn, and now Giles tells her she has to kill Dawn. This is the game changer, the main plot resolved, and now something happens that puts Buffy in the position of the only way to save humanity, Giles is telling her, is to kill her sister. You cannot have higher stakes than that, and I feel like it would be impossible not to go on and watch the next episode. Going back for a moment, that discussion of guilt between Willow and Buffy was the third conversation about guilt and Buffy's guilt over wanting to quit and her belief that it caused her to fail Dawn and kill her shows another side of guilt with Ben and Glory. Guilt helped motivate them to behave better, but for Buffy, guilt is debilitating and undermines her efforts for good. This is interesting given that Glory views guilt and all human emotions as debilitating and useless. And she says that thing about humans are puppets to their emotions. And in some ways, Buffy is a bit like a puppet in this episode. She, the real Buffy, is completely still. And inside her head, guilt is pulling all the strings. So what is the conclusion of The Way to the World about guilt? I see it partly as gray areas, which shows a lot of why Buffy the Vampire Slayer as a series is so enduring. It would be easy in a show about fighting vampires to have good versus evil, um, white hats versus black hats, which we allude to in the episode The Wish, where there's the alternate universe where Buffy doesn't come to Sunnydale. But the show is always dealing in shades of gray. And I think the ultimate message here is that guilt is neither good nor evil. You need that perspective that Willow introduces. It's an emotion. It's important. But smashing it down, getting rid of it is not the answer. And also wallowing in it and letting it control you is not the answer. That is it for The Weight of the World, other than foreshadowing, which includes spoilers. If you have not heard enough of my thoughts on this episode, you can listen further on Patreon. There is a bonus called God's Guilt and the Weight of the World. If you're not a patron already, you can join for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash Lisa M. Lilly, L-I-S-A, M as in Marie, L-I-L-L-Y, 
or you can make a one-time donation at buymeacoffee.com slash Lisa M. Lilly, and you can listen to the Weight of the World bonus episode as well as the Buffy holiday episode there. If you are not sticking around for foreshadowing and spoilers, thank you so much for listening. Come back in two weeks for the finale of season five, The Gift, where Glory strives to open the portal and Buffy and her friends do everything they can to try to stop her. And we are back for foreshadowing, which includes spoilers. I mentioned Buffy wearing that same white shirt and black jacket in this episode as she did in the previous two for a couple reasons. One, it's realistic. Buffy has not had time to change clothes, so it makes sense that we see her dressed the same. It adds to the tension, but also it is such a good way to set up the fake out in the gift. Early in the gift, we see that the Buffy bot is still around, but we don't hear all the plans that the gang makes, and we don't realize they're going to use the Buffy bot. So when we see Buffy in the white shirt and the black leather jacket fighting Glory, we think it's really Buffy. And we discover at the same time Glory does when Glory kills Buffy that this was the Buffy bot. So what a great way to set that up. This moment of Willow taking charge, um, using a spell that sends Spike and Xander flying apart, and telling them and everyone what to do sets up season six, starting with her ability to do this spell to bring Buffy back, but also setting up how Willow is embracing this power. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but we'll see that Willow takes it in a dark direction. I also love the old man in this episode. He doesn't necessarily seem that important. He feels more like a vehicle for Spike and Xander to get these scrolls. So we kind of forget about the old man, despite that he opened his eyes again. And even though he is a threat, he's got that long tongue that suddenly turns out to be a weapon, he still doesn't have that feel of posing a great danger. He's wearing the flannel bathrobe. He looks like this old guy. He spends most of his time on books, as best as we can tell. They're everywhere in his apartment. And he does seem genuinely concerned about Dawn, or at least uh, thoughtful about her asking how the spell turned out. So we don't expect him to be some kind of major threat. And yet he is the one who will start the ritual and cause Dawn to bleed, setting up that final conflict. Another moment, and this one I never noticed before, is that Buffy tells Willow Death is my gift. As she looks at Joyce's gravestone when they are in Buffy's head, and this foreshadows how death is Buffy's gift to Dawn, to the world, and we end the episode and the season on Buffy's gravestone. So such a powerful moment foreshadowing that. That is it for 
the weight of the world. Thank you again for listening, and a special thank you to patrons who support the show. Come back in two weeks for the finale of season five, The Gift. You can listen to back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash buffystory or lisalilly.com slash YouTube. Comment on the episodes or connect with me on Instagram or Twitter at Lisa M. Lilly or by visiting the Buffy and the Art of Story Facebook page or email your comments to buffystorypod at gmail.com. Find book editions of Buffy in the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash buffybooks. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman LLC, copyright 2022. All rights reserved.